Hi, I'm Charles. Hi, I'm Bailey. And you are listening to Hold Me, I'm Scared. Welcome back to Hold Me, I'm Scared, where once a week we pick out a fear and explore it. This week, we're talking about psychics. Ooh, psychics. You know, psychics, (laughs) I sometimes, look, I really, really want to believe that there are people out there that, like, have this celestial knowledge about the future and other lives and whatever. And sometimes even I think I've had psychic moments. Mm -hmm. But it's just hard for me to, like, believe in. There's just so many fakes. (laughs) Yeah. That is just... It's sad. I also think that, like... I don't know. I think it's kind of, like, foolish to think that we already know, like, what we see and, like, know scientifically or concretely is, like, all that there is, right? hmm But it's hard to believe that, like, I don't know, people have these like ESP or stuff. But I do think that you can have like really deep connections with people that maybe like go beyond the fi- like the physical world or realm. Yeah. Like I mean cuz you and I are both like really empathic people. So like I mean being around somebody like you I or at least I know I can. I know you can like you can feel when somebody is not happy. You like you pick it up like in their body language or even just like you just sense it and you're like, What's wrong with you? And they're like, Nothing's wrong. And you're like, literally, what's wrong with you? And then they're like, Well, actually, this whole life you know. Yeah. And you and I have been around like the same person who would insist that nothing was wrong and then we'd be like, Something's wrong, right? Like something Hello. <laughs> <laughs> My phone just decided to start playing um, Kiss Me More by Susan Doja Cat. So, cool. It was the last song I wanted to play on my Spotify, and it just popped up. That was, like, hours ago. Like, yesterday. (laughs) It's a psychic! Um, uh, But, like, so I've had experiences, like, in high school. I woke up one day out of the blue on like at like 7 a.m. on a Saturday and that was the exact moment that my high school boyfriend got into a car accident like a bad one he ended up being mm. okay um but I just woke up and I knew something was wrong and then there's been like other times that that's happened where like family my brother got into an accident while hiking and I like remember getting this really weird feeling and going into the kitchen and I looked at my mom and I was like, something's wrong with Ryan. And she was like, I know. And she was on the phone trying to call my brother. And yeah. like, there's no way that we, we like could have known. But he had fallen like 100 feet or something onto like sharp rocks. And he survived oh and he ended up being okay. He had like, yeah, but it was a bad accident. And like, we both just knew. So I feel like kind of like there must be some sort of ability to like connect. Yeah, some sort of like other like energy like field that we're like we grasp onto that like isn't quite scientifically explained because I don't know because like I've had I mean you know I have the strangest (laughs) dreams in all of 
humanity, I'm pretty sure. But, uh, yeah, I don't really have dreams of the future, but a lot of the times I will have dreams that hint to, like, things to come, almost. Like, common themes that seem to present themselves. But even then, like, I wouldn't even say that's, like, predicting the future. I would say that I do have moments that aren't even as useful, like, with strong intuition about certain things. Like, you might remember the backpack story to where I was experimenting with different masturbation techniques. And I had a (laughs) bottle of lube, right? And I was still living with my parents, and I had thrown it into a backpack. And I was like... Nobody's going to find it there. Nobody's going to need this backpack. As I dropped it in, I was like, that doesn't feel right. And I was like, somebody's going to ask me to use this backpack. I know somebody's going to ask me to use this backpack, which is weird because, like, nobody should need to use my backpack for any reason, right? And right. the next day after I had taken it out of that backpack, so I was like, Mm-mm. I just feel like it's the wrong move. Like, somebody will ask you for that backpack. My mom texted me and said, hey, um, by the way, I... Um, took your backpack, the blue and brown one. Um, I hope you don't mind. I just needed something to put my computer in um, because I'm like with your dad at the doctor's and I just wanted something to like carry my computer. So I hope you don't mind that I used it. Oh my God. And I was like, I knew somebody <laughs> would use that backpack. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. But, and then I'm like, useful, right? But why can't that be like for, you know, other things? Like, I mean, that, that one was here. pretty useful. Yeah, it was pretty useful, but I feel like <laughs> if I do have psychic abilities, it should have, I don't know, I'd like them to come for other, well, see, like, and I know that you have useful things. that, like, intuition, so there was that one time when I was in Japan, and you messaged me, and you were like, no matter what anyone says, I love you, and I was like, I have cancer, he has cancer, like, something terrible is happening, because I thought you must have just, like, predicted something, and I called you, and I was like, what the fuck does this mean? What do you mean, no matter what anyone says, I love you? I was like, it doesn't mean anything, it just means, like, no matter what anyone says, in your life, I love you. What I didn't tell you then, that I feel like I can tell you now, is what sparked that was I saw your ex at Lush. Oh. Which, those two don't seem correlated. Like, there's nothing there. Like, I, I didn't feel like he was going to, like, slander your name or anything. I was just like, you know what? No matter what anyone says, no matter what anyone says, I love you. Like, you I can mean, have, like, the worst, like, people in your life and whatever. And, like, okay, this dude he's not, like, here. a terrible person. <laughs> well, yeah, he's not a terrible You're person. You're just very protective friend. of me. Don't. We don't need to. Do you know, though, I knew when he, when we broke up, I knew when he was in another relationship and I knew when he got engaged before anyone told me. I knew. Isn't that weird? That's what I'm saying. I think like, I think when you're like particularly close or intimate with someone, I do think that like there's this weird like bond that forms where like you, you just like know things especially like momentous things or like scary things or bad things Mm -hmm. um yeah but that it is weird how like you just know things yeah and it's such like a hard line between what's like normal anxiety about things like where you just are like i don't know i just have like a a bad feeling like i i just i feel like something bad could happen and 
maybe nothing ever does, but sometimes you do have those bad feelings. Like, I don't know, just I feel like something's about to come up and that something does with like a loved one. I don't know. Um, yeah. Oh, also, I've had dreams of meeting people before I actually meet them in life. I haven't had that. I just meet people in my dreams that I'm like, where did I come up with you? Like, why do I? And I like never see them, but in real life, but like I know them and I'm like, I don't know. They felt so real. And it's so sad that when I leave, because I've had so many dreams of um, like similar looking men who I meet who are like romantic interest and I'll like know them so like real like and then I'll wake up and they're gone and I'm like so sad <laughs> like we were doing just fine um at least in my dreams I'm happy I know um oh well yeah I wanted to ask you because I feel like this is a great question that you came up with even yeah. still what are you afraid of today I have been okay so I am at a very good point in my life I feel really happy and like I like my job I love my new place I get to see you soon and I'm just scared that something's gonna fuck it up do you know what I mean like whenever you feel like you get to a place where everything's like gonna be okay I just have this like impending sense yes (laughs) so I think it's just that general like all right I finally got to a place where I feel really good and like I'm happy. I'm excited about the future after the and especially now that I'm vaccinated, I feel really excited about being able to socialize again and and see friends that I haven't seen in a year. And I think the last year was just really obviously really difficult for everyone. And so I'm finally looking at the future with a sense of like joy and excitement for the first time and like a year and a half and so I'm really scared that something terrible is gonna happen to like fuck it all (laughs) yeah that's really understandable especially when you've had like a string of misfortunate events each time that it it's like one of those graphs (laughs) that like are two things that are the same like they're reaching the same peaks and valleys but they're two very uncorrelated things like sales and potatoes and like car crashes in 2017 like there's a lot of graphs like that that have things that are very like they seem to be correlated but they're not um yeah yeah and I think that's what you kind of tied to that and that is scary I mean and you know we know life is so especially (laughs) the more we do this podcast um we know life is you know not perfect and terrible and scary things do happen um so having these moments of like joy you're like but what else is going to happen? Like, like but, but what's the bad thing that's going to happen? Especially after 2020, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because I, I was so excited going into 2020. I had just finished up my contract in Japan, and I was really excited to be back in America and see everybody. And I, like, was really excited to continue my acting career. I had saved a bunch of money on contracts. I had all these plans for, like, classes I was going to take and... Um, and then, like, a month after I got back is when shit hit the fan. Yeah. So I feel like I got the rug pulled out from under me then, which I'm sure so many people felt like. Yeah. I, um, I think we... And so like, I'm just like, oh, all right, now did. I'm finally getting excited. Yeah. I feel like yeah, we, most sure. of us had 
like these plans going into 2020. I mean, I wasn't really the happiest at the end of 2019, but I really felt like I had a hold of like, uh, you know, just a grasp on the next steps of my life. And then it just felt like it had all been swept out from under me. But, but you did a lot. I know. You but accomplished I, a lot. I really made sure that that wasn't going to be the final end. I was like, you know what? <laughs> it, may, it may have taken me almost the entire year to get there, but I... I pulled myself up. I pulled those yeah. little... I didn't even lose the boots, okay? I held on to those <laughs> boots for dear life. Um, yeah, I'm really yeah. proud of you. Thank you. I'm really proud of okay. me, too, some days. What am I scared of today? I don't know. I'm scared that I... <laughs> we won't have enough time between this podcast and me having to spend the last day at my second job to make a lunch. <laughs> um, something small. Something that I can control. That's can a good one. Can you just eat lunch at work? Do you not get, like, shift meal? No. Well, well, I do, like, at the end, but also I work at a pizza place that has, like, no vegan options. Oh, so. right. <laughs> LOL. You know, do you remember when you were in Japan and we ordered a pizza? With, oh, with my no God. Cheese? I ordered a pizza from Domino's with no cheese in Japan, and it was like I had, I had like, destroyed everything that they were... <laughs> they had built up to this point because they they called me and he was like my English isn't very good and I was like that's okay I'll try to talk slow and he was like you don't want cheese and I was like yes no cheese and he was like very confused at the fact that I didn't want cheese he was like yeah I, it was like a five minute conversation of he really didn't understand that's that was what I wanted not just isn't him. like super a thing in japan no usually, like, vegetarianism you have to say, is but yeah usually you have to say like i'm allergic they understand that more than they understand i'm a vegan yeah but even then like we went to the hard rock cafe in um city walk in universal and there <laughs> um I just I, I just asked for no mayonnaise. It was a burger. No mayonnaise. That's oh, right. All I came needed. with like an aioli. Yeah. And they gave me this like whole laminated sheet of paper that was like, do you understand that like the substitutions that you may make may result in you not getting a meal? And I was like, oh, my God. Listen, I will personally go back there and make it <laughs> like if you need me to. I just I can't. I think it came on the side anyway, and it, like, wasn't... I know. ...even worth all the hassle. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry that I chose this life. Um, <laughs> but I stayed strong. I'm pretty sure I consumed some animal products unknowingly, but I did my best. I don't know. We... we I felt like I did pretty good finding you some vegan restaurants. You did. You did. But I, there was, like, that soup that I got from 7-Eleven that, like, I looked up different words to, like, see, and I'm pretty sure there was, like, animal broth in it, but it was good, so. Yeah, most soups there have animal broth. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. That's, that's on Japan. That's on Japan, but <laughs> right now, we are talking about psychics and prophecy and fortune-telling. Um, turns out, there's not really, like, a, a term for, like, a phobia of being afraid of fortune-tellers or that kind of, like niche thing so i pulled together um at least like four different things that could reference to that so we have one which is wiccophobia which is like the fear of witches and witchcraft and the occult things like that um rodophobia which is the fear of magic chronophobia which is defined as a persistent and often irrational fear of the future um or the fear of passing time and these are all from fear of.net um this one, though, it's it's not a phobia, more of a um, 
it's kind of like racism and prejudice. It's called anti-Ziganism, um, which is specifically against like the Romani people from mm. um, what we would refer to, which is not a very likable term, and we should stop using it. As, don't say it. Don't say it. Just don't um, say it. Starts with a G, but it's a slur. Yeah, it's a slur <laughs> that is not um, a good one. Uh, but yeah, so against interesting those people um i think i'm uh i have chronophobia do you really i, I don't think know. i have a little i think we all might have a little bit i think i have like a healthy dose i because like the idea of passing time and time trips me out in general mm-hmm. and like the perception of time 10 times weirder like an hour can seem like 30 minutes or it can seem like the longest hour of your entire life like yeah there's a theory that like I've also when I was doing my research on near-death experiences a lot of people reported that like when they died they realized that time like wasn't linear at all and it's all just simul like everything is basically simultaneous and it's all just like and I'm like why can't we access that (laughs) and like some people think that's why you get deja vu because like technically you have Right. lived everything I get deja vu all the time it's so stupid oh me too but they say it happens in your like mid-20s which we haven't got there yet uh (laughs) (laughs) I get I got it I've basically gotten it like pretty frequently all my life like I got deja vu before I knew what it was yeah yeah and it's always like it's always it feels to me like I dreamt about being here before like I've dreamt of this moment and so in order to like dispel it I'll just do something increasingly random like throw my phone across the room, scream in public, like <laughs> do some weird kind of jig. But sometimes like that's a part I'll, of it. Yeah. And I'll have to do something even like wilder and yeah, eventually I just I'm, live with it. Eventually I'm like, I had to kill him because I had deja vu. <laughs> um, so there is more. Um, th- I found this very interesting. Um, during the pandemic, which is still going on um, revenue for the psychic services industry. And this is all from, uh, ibisworld.com um, the psychic service industry is expected to have declined mildly in 2020 due to the closure of non-essential businesses but um, not like a huge steep decline um, because people have sought out psychics even more um, due to the huge um, gain of uh, not knowing what's going to happen next and right. all of this terrible stuff that keeps being thrown at us i definitely thought about like calling a psychic hotline during lockdown i was like honestly like what what do i have to lose you know right and (laughs) they've even been like on the news i've watched a couple news reports of psychics during 2020 and oh um, there were a lot of them around the election too yeah and everyone keeps saying joe biden is gonna die and that kamala harris (laughs) is gonna like pop up there um I mean, maybe. Uh, who knows? Who knows? At this point. Um, it does say that due to, like, the non-essential business closing, that a lot of psychics have shifted to online, so that's why they haven't um, seen such a sharp decline in revenue. Um, I had my friend give me a tarot reading during lockdown, because um, they were unemployed like most of us, and, that, and they're Romani, and... Um, and so I, I had them give me a tarot reading because uh, they were offering them on Twitter. And it was so accurate. Like, That's spooky. So cool. Like, spooky? Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, I was... And it was stuff that, like, even though this person is my friend, it's stuff that they didn't know I had going on. Mm. Like, we hadn't talked about it, and it was, like, really deep, like, emotional stuff that I had not told them. Right, and, and like, like, less generic than just, like, you're gonna be okay. (laughs) Yeah, it was actually... And it was, like, kind of, like... It was a little harsh, but like the way that they communicated it to me was really nice. But it's like the message that the cards gave them was like kind of harsh. All I see is them like, oh, Ace of Cups, upright. You're a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) The cards say you're a little bitch. No, but it was, uh, I just remember like it gave me some direction. And so, yeah, I think at the very least it could be fun. And at the very least, it can be a tool to gain, like, insight, yeah, right? Yeah, that, well, that's what I've always appreciated about it, is even if there is no, like, psychic, celestial, powerful, like, spiritual thing to it, it does provide quite a lot of thinking prompts for you to be like, well, is that what's happening? Um, you know, maybe not. Here's what I'm actually kind of dealing with. And then you start thinking of what you're actually, um, like trying to assess in your life or it's something that kind of matches um or matches even more than just kind of and you're like you know what that seems true and I'm gonna go with that and we're gonna see if that road works for me and if not then I'm gonna you know follow this like it just it really helps you think stuff out sometimes kind of like a little yeah card therapist (laughs) I'm to just be like why don't you think about this yeah Um, exactly which I think is cool so from today.yougov.com, um, I do have some statistics about Americans and what we believe in like psychics and clairvoyance. Um, turns out that about 24% believe that they are actually individuals who possess the ability to see the future. And there is a gender split, um, women being way more higher on the scale of seeking out help through psychics than men, which because men don't seek out any help. Um, for anything there's really no surprise there Um, they will never stop and ask for directions they will just invent their own map I also think that women in general because of the way that women and men are raised differently or people that are raised as women um, have like more emotional intuition than men do Um, people that are raised as men do because people that are raised as women are socialized to be emotionally intuitive, emotionally considerate more than people that are raised as men. So I think people that are raised as women are more likely to believe in the possibility of like extra... Of something like intuition led. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, It's a similar... Hello. (laughs) Similarly, 38% of U.S. adults report feeling the presence of a spirit sometime during their lifetime. Again, women are more likely than men to have sensed a ghostly entity. Nearly half, 46% of women in comparison to 30% of men. Um, As with belief in psychics, belief in mediums, individuals with the power to contact the dead is as low as 21%. Um, That's not that low to me, though. I know. Um, And this one, too, it says Americans are even less likely to buy... 
Um, what this one seems this seems right to me. Um, Americans are even less likely to buy into more niche elements of divination. For example, and this was in 2017, only 7% think palm reading is effective, and just 9% believe tarot card readings can accur- accurately predict the future. In fact, nearly half of U.S. adults, 47%, are of the opinion that most people who advertise as psychics or mediums are fakes, which that seems right. Um, yeah, I kind of agree. Right, me too. Because um, I think a lot more people are fake than genuine if there are genuine ones at all Um, but i'm open to that idea individuals over the age of 55 are more skeptical than other age groups about the authenticity of those who claim to have special powers the majority of those 55 and older which is 54 percent think self-proclaimed psychics and mediums are largely frauds while 39 percent of millennials feel similarly so millennials are more likely to believe in psychics than the boomers and gen x we gotta believe in something right (laughs) we have to believe in something with the world that was left for us to deal with yeah yeah that's my facts and figures man that was actually really interesting good job i might have a real one in my story oh Mm -hmm. okay okay excited (laughs) okay so i am first and um but who's on second (laughs) Um, my, my would you rather is, would you rather know the answer to a great mystery, but no one believes you, or believe that you know the answer and everyone believes you, but it's wrong? Oh. Mm. But it's wrong? Mm-hmm. Man. I think I'd rather the first one, because that's a, a way more slippery slope to be wrong and a whole bunch of people believe you and, and like then, confident right because yeah. then when they find out which they inevi- inevitably will like it, they're going to distrust you way more as to when like when eventually you might be proven right people are going to be like oh my god they knew this whole time and now i trust you even more so you're of the whole philosophy that everything in the dark will eventually come to light not everything but i think a lot of the times it does <laughs> Okay, I'll take that. All right, so I went back to my roots this time, and I watched... Not your roots. ...a television episode. (laughs) Um, So my sources were Investigation Discovery's Restless Souls, Season 1, Episode 1, and a Columbus Dispatch article by Dispatch contributor Theodore Decker. Um, So this one is kind of long, but it's crazy. So hold on to your butts. Okay. So, our... <laughs> hold on. <laughs> uh, I'm going to send you something in the chat, Charles, because we're going to do a little role play in a second. Oh, role play. <clears throat> okay. Slutty maid. Oh. Okay, so this starts the night of June 16th, 2004 in Columbus, Ohio. 20-year-old Ashley Howley is sleeping after getting home from a night at work when she's attacked in her home. And she calls 911, and we actually have the transcript of the 911 call, which Charles and I are going to read. So I'm going to be Ashley, and you're going to be the dispatcher. I'm the dispatcher. Oh, my God. Okay. I just got beat up at my house, and I think they're still in my house. Who just got beat up? Me. You did? Yeah. Okay, what's your name? Ashley. Who beat you up? And Ashley just kind of mumbles something unintelligible. I'm sorry. Do you need a medic also or just the police? Ashley, again, can't really understand her. She's crying. (laughs) 
Do you want a medic also? Yes. Okay, are you outside? Yes. Okay, I'll send them out to you. And scene. Oh my god, I'm hired. Can you tell that we're trained actors? Yeah. Also, (laughs) I've I've been a dispatcher in a past life, obviously. Ashley, after immediately after she hangs up with the police, she calls her best friend Beverly Rapier, and she says, and Beverly's interviewed in the episode, and Beverly says that Ashley was really scared, and she was kind of just like babbling, talking in circles. That she said that she was packing and she was gonna go to Beverly's house, but she never showed up. So a little bit about Ashley. Um, She grew up in Michigan and she was super close to her cousin, Carrie Combs. Uh, And Carrie is also going to be a big part of the story, so remember that. Carrie described Ashley as a really fun and magnetic child. And she tells us that Ashley... She stuck to everything. (laughs) She just had like a really like engaging personality. Um, But Ashley had actually moved from Michigan to Columbus to go to school to become a social worker, which was her dream. Beverly, Ashley's friend, tells us that Ashley was working at a strip club to make money while she was in school, um, but it wasn't like really her thing and she was planning on leaving because she didn't like the environment and she didn't like the unwanted attention from patrons outside of working hours. Um, She says that Ashley was a very open and trusting person with a great heart. So, the investigation. So four days after Ashley fails to show up at Beverly's house, um, Ashley's family in Michigan starts to get worried because they didn't hear from Ashley on Father's Day, and Ashley was really close to her dad, and they spoke all the time. So it was really weird for her not to reach out on Father's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, so the family goes to the Ohio police and asks them to open a missing persons investigation, but the police say no. Um, because Ashley is 20, she's an adult, and she's allowed to go missing, which happens all the time, (laughs) which is really annoying. So the family stays in Columbus, and they start putting up flyers, and they're just going to look for Ashley themselves. Um, Finally, about two weeks after Ashley goes missing, the Columbus Police Department finally opens a missing persons investigation. Uh, They get a search warrant for her apartment, and when they go to search, they find that all of her personal items are still there, like her toothbrush, hairbrush, you know, anything that someone would take with them if they were deliberately leaving is still in the house. It didn't look like her clothes were missing or anything like that. So that kind of leads Mm. them to believe that something happened to her. Unless Uh, she wanted to go missing. (laughs) And leave all of her shit behind. <laughs> well, yeah, if you didn't want anybody to find you. I once read a WikiHow article on how to disappear when I was very sad. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone at some point or another has like a fantasy of just disappearing and starting another life somewhere. Mm-hmm. But that's not what happened here. <laughs> um, so a bit later, they find Ashley's car at a local parking lot, and it seems like it had been there for a pretty long time um there was like debris underneath the car and on top of the car like leaves that have fallen onto it and stuff Mm -hmm. so it was clear that it had been sitting there and there was nothing inside the car like the glove box was cleaned out it was just empty that's also weird yeah so the investigation continues without turning up much and then three months after she initially goes missing her case goes cold yeah um and Ashley's mother, Jackie Stanton, is 
devastated. And yeah. um, she she believes that Ashley had died. It was like, we, it, I got the sense from the way that they talked about it in the episode. It was kind of like we were talking about, like, when you're really close to someone, you have, like, these feelings about them. And it kind of seems like her mom, like, like knew. N- knew that she wasn't around anymore. That's so sad. And, like, I mean, how else would you feel? You hadn't seen anybody for three months and just cold. Right. And trail. I do, like, I, as someone who, like, loves true crime, you do hear this a lot of parents they say, a lot of times they'll say like I couldn't feel them anymore. Like parents can like yeah feel their children in the world, and then when something happens to them and they pass away, they'll say I couldn't I couldn't feel them out there in the world anymore. Just mm. really interesting. Um, but it it really affects Jackie horribly, and she one of the family members describes her as kind of losing her will to live and like losing her will to keep going and she leaves Ohio and returns to her home in Michigan. Um, Back in Michigan, about 10 miles from the family home uh, in Livonia. Livonia? Livonia? Sorry, Michigan. Um, But there's, there lives a psychic medium. Mm. And shit is about to get real over at her house. Teresa Caputo, everyone. (laughs) Um, man, I used to love that show. I used to, like, binge watch Long Island Medium. Really? I'm, I yeah. love medium show. I love, like, even and though I don't, like, believe in all the time. She's yeah. a, and her hair, the iconic The higher the hair, the closer to God. Okay, so the mediums in this story, her name is Christy Robinette. Cool. So a little bit about Christy. Um, she explains that, um... Over time, lost souls can get stronger by communicating with the living people that can still see them. And Christy has been able to see and communicate with dead people since she was a kid. But as a kid, she kept this ability private because she says that she like knew that she would get in trouble if she talked about seeing ghosts. Mm. Um, but as she got older, she started to embrace this ability. And she, she says that everyone has like a light that goes through them and that as she embraced her ability her light grew stronger and she kind of became like a beacon or like a lighthouse for lost souls oh okay yeah so this is after her case has gone cold and um christy is sleeping one night when ashley comes to visit her oh and so Christy had no idea who this person was. She cuz if you she went missing in Ohio. So even though her family was in Michigan, it wasn't like news there. Mm. Um so she said that Ashley came and was trying to talk to her, but she says it was like she couldn't find her voice. Um like it was really it was like she like couldn't really speak. Um but she was trying to and she said that Ashley managed to get out that her name was Ashley and that she'd been murdered. Oh, so Christy says, and this is like a direct quote from the episode. She says, when we pass away, we have choices. We have free will from this side and on the other side and in between. We can cross into the light and go to heaven, or we can stay here in limbo and wander. And she says that she thinks it took Ashley some time to realize that she'd passed away. And that's like part of the reason I think why she was like still 
on earth. That's so scary to me to think of like dying and not knowing that you yeah. died. That I think or is like coming to the me. realization. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Um I mean I don't mind wandering, but like I gotta we all know. love to wander. I gotta but know yes. I'm dead. And at least at this point she knows because she tells Christy, but Christy says like she thinks it took some time and that's why she didn't contact sooner. Um so Christy gets on her laptop and she starts looking into missing murder uh, missing or murdered Ashley's and she finds Ashley Halley's missing persons flyer and she's shocked because the girl in the flyer is the exact same girl who had visited her in the night and it's like exact um it's not like oh she looks like kind of like the ghost I saw it's like that is her Hmm. um so and so this is like the fall of 2005 when this happens and Christy emails the head detective of the Columbus Police Department and she emails Crime Stoppers which like from what I understand about Crime Stoppers, they're pretty much in, like, every city, and they work in conjunction with the police department, and it's, like, a line that people can call to give, like, anonymous tips um, about crimes. So she also emails Crime Stoppers about her visit from Ashley, and she's basically like, I know, you, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but, like, I know this information. And Crime Stoppers emails her back. She, do, she doesn't get a response from the police department at the time, but Crime Stoppers emails her back and is basically like, yeah, we're not, we don't want to talk to you. We're not interested. But you can call Ashley's mom and they give her... But you can call Ashley's mom. <laughs> yeah. Which I thought was so weird. I guess they said that they had gotten permission from the police department to give the psychic Ashley's mom's number. So I would hope that the police, like reached out to her before giving the okay on that but like like that doesn't seem legal somehow (laughs) yeah they straight up give this like random woman claiming to be a psychic ashley's mom's number and again seems about right yeah so um so christy calls ashley's mom and ashley's mother is like you should talk to Ashley's cousin, Carrie. And they, they don't really give a reason why she, like, passed around to Ashley's cousin, but I would imagine it's because it's just too much for her mom to kind of deal with. It's, it sounds like she was really struggling at the time, and, yeah, and it sounds like her cousin, Carrie, was kind of running point on stuff. Um, so Carrie says that, like, intuitively she knew that Ashley was dead, but, like, she didn't want to believe it. Oh, yeah. Why would you? (laughs) Right, exactly. And, like, and they had no real reason to think that she was dead. Like, when they searched her apartment, they didn't find, like, blood or anything. Like, aside from the fact that all her stuff was still around, like, they, I mean, she could have been alive, you know? Um, And she said that when she spoke to Christy, she wasn't, like, entirely dismissive, but she was leery, which, like, anyone would be. Um, but basically she says that like ultimately both of them wanted to find Ashley and since they had that common goal she was willing to work with her so in the meantime um, Ashley continues to visit Christy so all of this has happened and we're now at about a, a year and a half after Ashley initially went missing and one night Ashley appears and she grabs Christy's hand and says let me take you there and while holding Ashley's hand, Christy gets these like intense visions and she gets this vision of a street 
Okay, so pay attention to these clues. So she gets a vision of a street. The street sign has an O on it, and it has like a long name. She can tell there's a lot of letters, but she can't make out the full word. So a street starts with an O, long name. She also sees a railroad track, and Ashley tells her that her body was where she could hear a train. Christy also sees water, and Ashley said that she wasn't in water, but that like water was around. Okay, so with these clues, Christy gets a map of Columbus, and she finds a park called Three Creeks, and it's this uh, park where three small creeks and a railroad meet, and it's next to a town called Obetz. Okay. So she calls Carrie, and she's like, hey, I think I know where your cousin is. I think I know where Ashley is, and they take a trip there together. So when they get to Three Creeks, they're kind of like trying to figure out where to start when a park ranger stops them and asks them what they're doing. And they straight up tell him like that Christie's a medium and they're looking for a dead body. (laughs) And he's also interviewed and he's like, "Um, yeah, I mean, I was like skeptical, but he says that Christie seemed so sincere and so genuine. He was like, I don't know. I didn't know if like she was like right but i knew she believed in what she was saying right so he's like all right i'll help you so he offers to take christy only christy not carrie and carrie said that she didn't want to be the one to find her anyway um which uh, totally makes sense but um he offers to take christy through the park on a search so they start walking through the park and then christy's like whole demeanor changes And the ranger notices um, and asks her what's wrong. And she tells him that she sees tons of bodies hanging from the trees in the park and, like, on the ground. Oh, God. And he says, like, yeah, that makes sense. um, Because apparently many people had died by suicide uh, in this park. And he says that they call it the suicide park. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. Now, there was one more clue that Ashley gave when she visited Christy. And she said she showed her all of these white pine trees. And she said that she was by these these light pine trees. But as they're going through the park, Christy only sees dark pine trees. And she's like, it it can't be here. Because... I, where and she asked the ranger like where in the park are there light pine trees and he's like there's not any there's there's none so completely defeated and and devastated Christy and Carrie leave and they return to Michigan without oh, Ashley I was hoping <laughs> so I'm gonna be like oh those white pine trees over there <laughs> and he was like look to your left you mean that white pine forest right there there no. she is so that's a bust and um and you know her case remains cold um and about uh a little over a year passes in between this search um when they went to three creeks so she's been missing for like almost two and a half years now yeah she's been missing for quite a while um yeah because she so she went missing in 
2004 and we're now like in 2006. So, Ashley, uh, so more than a year passes, but during that year, Ashley keeps visiting Christy. And remember, Christy had said that as spirits communicate with people that can hear and see them, they get stronger. So Ashley keeps getting stronger and she starts getting angry. And Mm. she even gets to the point where she can push a table into Christy. Oh, God. Yeah. And Christy said that she knew that Ashley wasn't mad at her, but she she was like. She was upset in general. Yeah, but she was, like, the only one that could that she could, like, communicate that anger to. Um, and she also said that when she saw Ashley, her aura got, like, really gray. And she just seemed, like, so, so very sad. Um, and then one day, Christy's taking a shower, and Ashley appears in her bathroom and is, like, sobbing. And she tells Christy, I just wanted to be loved. Oh, I know. Ashley, we love you. I know. It's, it's like, so, that's just devastating. And then Christy said that this made her realize that just, like, in life, we have these stages of grief. She says, like, apparently we have them after we die, too, when it comes to grieving our own death. And Ashley was, like... Like, denial and anger and sadness. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, and she had started by, like, not realizing that she was dead. And then she got really angry. And she says, like, now she's in that, like, depression, sad stage. Um, And she keeps getting stronger. And she keeps bringing Christy more images of where she was. So... She shows her more light-colored pine trees. She also shows her a dilapidated wooden fence, uh, an old cemetery with just like a few stones, a small little cemetery. And over and over, she tells Christy that concrete is important. Hmm. So we've got even more clues. She's really trying to help them out. Right. Um, So after this new information, Christy calls the park ranger who had led her through three creeks um and they had like maintained like a friendly relationship so she's asked him if basically he knows of an area that had like a small family cemetery um and that fit all the other clues uh that she had stated before now the park ranger realizes that there is a park called high bakes metro park um nearby and it has an old family cemetery it has light-colored pine trees. You can hear a train clearly at night in the park. Um, and it is by a river, Olentangy River. And it's on a road that run. There's a road that runs through it named Olentangy River Road. Come on through, Ashley. And then he says there are also a few locations in the park which have concrete pillars. Girl. Ashley, she really... It really is. And then that ranger is like, you know what? This is all, this, keep going. I'm excited. I, I know. I love that this ranger was like on board at this point. So he, so he's like, come on, come, come on. I'll take you through the park. We can look. So on August 26, 2006, the ranger, Christy, and Carrie go to search Metro Park, High Banks Metro Park. Christy says that when she gets there, she immediately feels Ashley's presence. And she knows that this is where she is. And she says that Ashley appears to them and she says, I'm going to I'm gonna take you through the park. 
and like she follows Ashley through the park and Ashley takes them by a cemetery and it's the exact same cemetery from Christie's visions. Oh, I just got chills. I just got chills. <laughs> so then they reach an area that's a, like a floodplain water mm-hmm. and it's surrounded by white pine trees. Come on. The ranger then leads them to a dilapidated wooden <gasps> fence. And he points to the house on the other side and he says, Do you know what that is? That's Ashley's ex boyfriend's house. How does he know that? Because. Okay, I'll explain. Oh, I just got full body chills. Okay, because her ex boyfriend was a suspect of the Columbus police from the very beginning of the investigation and like the family believed that it was him so everyone kind of knew okay so and also like yeah and the ranger I guess so the the property and the ranger because he knew the park he like knew the properties adjacent to the park let me tell you about Ashley's ex-boyfriend his name is Robert McMichael but he goes by Bobby Like I said, he was a suspect from the very beginning of the investigation. Uh, Around the time that Ashley went missing, they had been broken up for about six months. And during those six months, he had stalked her. And he was super jealous and possessive, and he had even threatened her multiple times. So obviously, he was like the number one suspect, but he lawyered up immediately and refused to talk to the police. And um, about two months after Ashley initially disappeared, the police managed to get a search warrant for his father's house where he lived um that property but they didn't turn up any evidence and so basically everyone kind of knew it was bobby but they had no evidence without ashley's body they couldn't pin it on him yeah exactly slippery little eel but now ashley has led them to his like to this the property to his property and christy's like she's here i like she's standing right there she's there we need to dig there but they can't because it's private property dang it and they can't break the it, rules <laughs> break the and, rules. and be trespassing well also but you think like if they do something illegal yeah would that jeopardize the investigation so they go to the police and they ask the police to get a warrant to dig there um but like a psychic's word is that's nothing. not enough to get yeah. a, a warrant. There's like this inner room. So the ne- over the next few months, they like they know what happened, but they can't do anything. And Ashley keeps visiting Christy, and she tells tells her repeatedly that Bobby killed her, and she says that no one was taking it seriously, and she's pissed. Like Ashley is very angry. So Christy. Uh, thinks that Ashley started paying Bobby visits. Uh, and basically, like, started just kind of tormenting him until he lost his shit. I mean, I'm not mad. No, I'm not mad at all. I, like, you get a girl. girl. Yeah. Um, so, in December 2007... Christy gets a call from Columbus PD, and Bobby has murdered his mother and her boyfriend. Oh, no. I didn't see that one coming. Right? Uh, And Christy firmly believes that Ashley basically made him fucking snap. (laughs) (laughs) 
So on January 1st, 2008, Bobby's arrested for those murders. And during the investigation, it came out that Bobby's friend, Garrett Kalish, had helped bury Bobby's mother and her boyfriend after that murder. So police think, well, if he helped him clean up after this murder, he probably helped him with Ashley, too. Um, So they make a deal with him. Like, if you give us the location of Ashley's body, you can basically, like, walk for your part in this. And he cracks and tells them where she is. And that gives them what they need to get a search warrant for the property. Come on, baby. Dig up them bones. April 4th, 2008. Four years Ah. since she passed. Four years since she went missing. Ashley's body is found less than 100 feet from where the psychic had told them to dig. (laughs) And her body had been partially preserved in quick-setting concrete. What? So, which Ashley had told Christy over and over, like, concrete isn't very important. Concrete, concrete. Right. Um, So both Christy and the police department believe that Ashley was strangled by Bobby in her apartment that night. Like, I think, I guess, like, he must have been hiding or, like, had left when the police came and then returned and strangled her. And I'm assuming that he was, like, masked and, like, it was nighttime. So, like, I'm assuming that she didn't know that it was him when she got, like, beaten before she called the cops and that he left or hid. Because she says, I think he's still in my house. Remember? Yeah. So I don't know if he left or if he hid, um, but he came back and he and he strangled her, um, and then he left her uh, her body in her apartment for a few days before he returned and moved her to his family's land to bury her. So not long after Ashley's body is found, Garrett Kalish helped bury her. Uh, he's discovered dead in his home of a drug overdose. That, and that's the the friend, right? That's Bobby's friend who helped him bury all three people that he killed. Yeah. You got to walk from, like, a whole murder scene, and then you drug overdose? What kind of... It's just, yeah. I mean, clearly a very troubled person. Yeah. Um, and, like, it's like, yeah, what he did was super, super shitty and evil. And, like, also if he had reported what he knew about Ashley, Bobby's parents wouldn't have died. But it's like, does he deserve to die for that? You know? So on April 20th, 2009, Bobby McMichael pleads guilty to all three murders, and he's sentenced to life in prison. So really sadly, Ashley's mother passed away before Ashley was found. Ugh. Um, And Ashley's father said that Jackie, quote-unquote, drank herself to death, and that she was like yet another victim of Bobby McMichael. He says that Jackie would still be here if not for the trauma of her daughter's disappearance. Which is just devastating. That is sad. (laughs) And Carrie says um, in the TV episode, she says that Ashley's father didn't want her to be... Oh, I'm like getting choked up. Why do I always get choked up? I don't know. (laughs) Suck it up. She, he's, well, it's just like, Ashley's father said that he didn't want her to have to be in the ground anymore, so he wasn't going to bury her again. What'd they, what'd they do? 
so they, uh, her remains and her mother's remains are together in this like beautiful memorial wall in their oh. hometown. Um, okay. So she's not underground anymore. And uh, Christy says that, and and her father was like obviously so relieved and so happy just to to bring her home. I think the family at this point, because it had been you know four years, had accepted that she she wasn't with us anymore. Um, but it was it was like a really huge. It was a huge relief that they did find her. Um, and that they at least got, like, I don't know that I necessarily believe that closure is, like, a real thing, but, like, that's probably what we would call it, that they yeah, got as, some sort like of close, resolution. Yeah, as close as you can get some sort of resolution or something that brings you, like, a little bit more peace than you would have had right. without. Yeah. So, Christy says that she believes uh, that Ashley has crossed over and she has found her voice on the other side. And she believes that Ashley is now helping others who are crossing over because they were victims of domestic abuse. That's really sweet. Yeah. And I hope uh, that's true. <laughs> I know. So that is the story of the murder of Ashley Howley and the psychic investigator that found her body. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. See, and in stories like that, that I'm like, Maybe well, it's true. Are psychics real? I mean, look. Because, like, she wasn't even from the area. She I know. Even, like, she wasn't even so related at she all. Know? She didn't even know about, like, she didn't know the family. She didn't know that that park, like, from what I could tell, she didn't even know that the park where they found her existed. Right? Mm, right. Like, she had to call the ranger and be like, is there anything like this around? Like, and she, like, maybe, okay, like, maybe it's kind of true. I know. I don't But see, then you'll get, like, let me tell you about my stories now. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Would you rather not have any psychic abilities, but, quote unquote, help people out and get a lot of money from it and never get caught? Or would you rather actually have true psychic abilities, actually help people out, but rarely get, like, any compensation for it, and just live with the fact that, like, you actually helped people? I would rather actually help people. Okay. I think I would, too. I mean, as fun as it might be sometimes to get rich and not get caught, um, and just make a whole bunch of crap up, like... I just feel like I couldn't live with myself. Yeah, you'd be. It's like, but blood then it's money, like maybe, you know? maybe I could convince myself that I really was helping people. Like if I was like giving them some sort of closure, if they, like, you know what I mean. Yeah, if I, got to, I like, know it's so like catch twenty two. <laughs> um, but no, I think I would rather just like legitimately help people and then be poor. Oh, before we, I'm sorry, I need a beverage. <laughs> oh. I'll be right back. I'm sorry. Go, go hate her while she's gone let me sing you the song psychics may be real or maybe they're not this is i have two stories one from the new york times and one from gq i've never lived in new york but apparently i've never even been to new york there are 
there's like a part of the culture there of seeing this flyer for Keanu, a psychic. And on it, it's like an all-seeing eye on a white pyramid against a black background. And it reads, the moon and the stars can be yours. It lists Keanu as a spiritual consultant, powerful master in love, and then lists all kinds of services and ends with one question free or one free question by phone. Don't let fear, pride, or doubt be your enemy. Reach out and let me help you. I'm here for you. Call me now with three exclamation points. Very shrouded in mystery. This Keanu. Okay. Is it Keanu Um, Reeves? It's Keanu Reeves. Um, it's actually spelled like Keanu, but later it's stressed that it's pronounced Keanu. Um, okay. So, like I said, very mysterious. This flyer has become like somewhat of a meme, and some people have like printed it onto clothing, phone cases, and even like some have considered, I saw on Reddit, like getting a tattoo of the flyer to like commemorate their time in New York. Um, So now we bring in Sam Kestenbaum into the story. He is a journalist for the New York Times, and he's kind of cute, but not, like, too cute. (laughs) He's, like, a solid eight. Um, That's pretty cute. He's very interested in... Yeah. um, He's, like, just your typical white American, but he's got kind of that, like, lumberjack look, you know? Um, Yeah, I'm into that. He was very interested into finding out what this Keanu person was all about. So he called. And most of the time that he called, um, it would go straight to voicemail. I guess every time until one night he um, heard a husky voice on the other side that was like, he didn't know if that was Keanu or not, but he said, like, can I come see you, like, for an interview? And the voice said, I am Keanu, and yes, maybe... I need to read your energy first, but now I must go and hung up. But that's what I'm going to start saying on my dating apps is when someone hits me up, I'm going to be like, maybe I'll see you, but I need to read your energy first. But you have to end it with, oh yeah, but you have to end it with, but now I must go. (laughs) (laughs) It's so dramatic. So uh, Sam talked to Keanu over the phone many more times, but there was always an excuse for not meeting. It was either, I'm out of town, or I'm tending to clients, or I'm feeling ill. And eventually, Keanu just stopped answering at all. So, Sam waited, and was still intrigued, and didn't want to give up hope, but it kind of became like a dead end there for a while. Um, Until... The following spring, a new lead picked up because now the posters, which previously only had a phone number, now had an address. Okay. And now there are three new names added to the flyers, Angelina, Mila, and Ruby. So each time he went, he would only meet these other three women and never Keanu. But they assured him that this was a real person and not just like some spirit, not some fake, like Keanu is a real person. And he said... (laughs) The shop wasn't much, but it had huge stacks of all these flyers and some crystals in the window. And outside, and it shows a picture, um, it was like a red and gold old-looking throne chair on top of some craggy-looking astroturf and a fold-out chair next to it. 
and he visited the shop like once a week, hoping to find this Keanu, and eventually he encountered a lady who he'd never seen before. She was sitting out front in the throne-like chair, um, pale skin, middle age, dark short hair, and a familiar dark and gravelly voice. This was Keanu. It's you. That's exactly what she looks like. All in all, he visited her getting a palm reading for like $80, and that was that. Um, Over the next few months, he visited her like every few weeks, and they would sit outside the shop and share (laughs) snacks from the nearby bodega, and he said she preferred 7-Up, but sometimes would settle for Sprite. Um, She offered three types. I know she has taste. She offered three types of consultations, palmistry and face analysis, tarot and aura readings each for about $40. She told him very generic things like your finances will improve and your spirit is bright today. Um, But she was always very like shy about herself. Like she wouldn't answer all the questions. But eventually he did get some like information about her origins. Um, She said Keanu was her name, but it actually wasn't even though she said that was her birth name she had another birth name um and she told him that her psychic abilities began when she was 16 she had a premonition that she would be hit by a car and she was and um she broke her ankle but survived and since then she always had premonitions about other people um on her roots she said i am greek and argentinian and one day she said to him, like, we don't do black magic. We only deal with light. We're not Illuminati, no witchcraft, no voodoo. I want you to know this. Trust me. So she's trying to appeal, like, very wholesome. Um, to which, let me just put out the PSA here real quick. When it comes to, like, black and white magic, not a real thing. Um, it's just all about, like, what we've learned from <laughs> the witch community and just r- racist roots and america um black magic you often think of things like bones and voodoo and voodoo dolls and whatever that that whole thing is a term just to reference the actual like or what the white racist people referenced what they saw black people practicing their religion as so anytime you hear of black magic it's not a thing and it's just it's a very racist term um So, try to take that one out of your vernacular if you can. Um, It's all just about, like, intention. Like, all from, we know from, like, the witch community, all magic is just, it can be good. If your intentions are good, it can be bad. If your intentions are bad. And there are many different ways to practice. But, and you and I know, because you studied it in college, like, real voodoo is Mm -hmm. not how we think it is. It's not like in the movies. It's just... A religion and in itself the real word for voodoo it's very like closely pronounced voodoo is like the misnomer that we made but voodoo? it means light it, no not hoodoo um, it's like it's something similar it sounds like voodoo it's like vo- voodoo or something um oh, i watched gotcha. a guy talk about it um but it, it means like light so it's actually nothing bad and like voodoo dolls are not how we think they are either um really a lot of things aren't how yeah we think and they it's are. um yeah and voodoo is uh like an afro-haitian religion um 
It was actually one of my favorite things to learn about in school. But it's it's like a it's a religious like sacred practice and it's not like witchcraft even. It's it's not. It's just got completed no. with that. Yeah. Um so back to Keanu, right? Um he says one drizzly evening I overheard Keanu speaking with another client over the phone, and these were the words. Thank God it's over, she said in a soft voice. I see some brightness flowing around you. Be yourself. I don't want you to be worried. But then her voice sharpened, and she said, You just have to do exactly what we discussed. Yes, I told you $750 to me. Call after. I love you. Bye. So... At, um, you know, Sam is like, you know what? I think honestly, she, he's starting to like think maybe she could just be another con artist. And also at the same point, Keanu is like losing interest in him. And she felt, and Sam felt himself that she would disappear like any moment. She just always felt like a bird about to like take off. And one summer night, she became sort of desperate, it seemed, and knew that Sam just wanted her story and not his fortune. So she made him a deal. And she said, I had a vision of you last night, and there was a dark mist. There is a black spot. It's small, but we need to do some research. Keanu hesitated for a beat and said, it's going to cost you this time. No more small stuff. She thought maybe $600, the exact price, depending on what the guardian angels said. After that, she said, maybe we could talk more. She'd do this plain interview I kept asking for, but only after. And she made the sale and agreed to pose for a portrait. But when he arrived... She was gone. And she was never to be seen again by him. And this, like, even searching for this lady online, like, there's really nothing about her. She's a very, like, mysterious figure. So with this one, it's like, is she real psychic and she's just charging people money? Like, a high price because it's her job or... Was she just another scam artist? Nobody really knows. Um, But the flyers are still up. They're still out. So this leads me into another New York psychic story from the GQ.com, The Curse of Psychic Zoe. So we're in 2013, February, New York. A lady named Ruth... um, We don't get her full name or where she's from due to privacy. Um, Ruth had her life going for her until her divorce, and her life seemed very dark and hopeless. So in an attempt for hope, she visited a psychic during her trip to New York. Psychic Zoe Thompson for $5. What could go wrong, right? So Zoe had a small office on the second floor. Five bucks, like, if it is a ripoff, that's not a big ripoff, you know? Right, and that's what Ruth was thinking. Like, what do I have to lose? It's just $5. $5 for a little hope really doesn't seem like much. You know, if anything, she probably thought she was just going to be like, you'll be okay. You got this girl. Bye. Um, but it was not as that simple. Um, Zoe had a small office on the second floor of a small apartment building, and it had the typical amethyst stones in each corner, and Zoe was really sweet, showed her a lot of compassion in just listening. Ruth told her a big amount of information, something that she should have saved for a therapist. However, um, she told her 
all the things from divorce to her depression to past sexual abuse and her fears about her emotionally distant kids and all of her other fears. So, Zoe told Ruth that she would need to spend the night at her church, that Zoe herself would need to spend the night at her church meditating, and then Ruth would need to come back after Zoe garnered all the spiritual enlightenment on what to do. So, Ruth not only felt relieved to vent to someone who listened, but was hopeful that just for $5, she was going to finally have a little bit of hope in her life again, right? And who wouldn't be excited at that? So she came back the next day, and this is what Ruth said transpired, her words exactly. She told me there was an extraordinary number of curses placed on me and my family, Ruth said. She said that she was at the top of her field, and she'd never ever seen someone surrounded by so much evil, so much darkness, and it wasn't a stretch for Ruth to believe she was cursed. She said, I was in such a vulnerable, depressed state at the time, I was looking for answers. So, already, Zoe has Ruth, like, in the palm of her hand, but hasn't quite clenched the fist yet. Zoe assured Ruth that she could remove the curses after her spiritual, quote-unquote, work was done, and said Ruth would find love and her children would be happy and her husband would even come back, if that's what Ruth wanted. To get all of this done, Ruth would need to invest in some gold because, according to Zoe, gold is the strongest element in the whole universe and could create an impenetrable shield around Ruth and those she wanted to protect. Which, I don't know if you've ever seen gold, anybody, gold can be flattened in seconds. Um... It's not a strong material. Yeah, and also, like, I just think it's so shitty how these people prey on someone who is so vulnerable by promising to help them. Like, it's so awful to take advantage of someone who's just looking for help. Don't do that. It's just like cult leaders. Yes. It's so freaking stupid. So Zoe offered her these gold coins and a heavy gold chain to buy, one coin for each member she wanted to protect, and she would then take those coins into an altar room that no one else can enter, especially Ruth, because she was so cursed and had so much negative energy. Um, She assured Ruth that she would get all of this back by March 1st. And remember, this was all in like February, as long as she didn't ask for it earlier than that. So this is how like Zoe keeps her in in her like palm because she's like you're gonna get this back like in a couple weeks don't worry about it I got this so wait did Ruth like buy all of this gold stuff and then give it to Zoe and then say that she and Zoe was like okay I'm gonna bless this and then I'll give it back to you is that what happened essentially yes she bought these 15 gold coins and a chain for eighteen thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Oh God! Yeah, let that soak in for a minute. It's insane. Okay, and Zoe showed her photos with the coins and the chain, so Ruth would believe that this was legit. Okay, so so Ruth bought these things, or like took Zoe's money, or sorry, Zoe took Ruth's money bought the things, said, I'm going to bless them. Here's the pictures of this stuff that I bought with your money, and then I'm going to give them back to you. Yep. After it's all said and done and you're 
and the curses are gone. March 1st. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, Ruth flew back home, which, like I said, is not disclosed for privacy, and was pretty shocked after the fact, realizing what she had just done. She quotes, I remember thinking that if Zoe had just scanned me out of $18,000 and I would never hear from her again since she was in New York and I was far away in another country. But all of that changed when she heard from Zoe. Not once, but regularly after that, Zoe gave her all kinds of advice about everything and warned her that all these terrible things would happen if Zoe didn't spiritually fight for her, even as far as telling Ruth that her miscarried babies would be trapped in hell with her grandparents if she didn't have Zoe's help. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. So, Ruth continues... I was so sleep-deprived, she said, because she would call me all throughout the night at 1, 2, 3 in the morning, terrorizing me, Ruth said. March 1st, the day Zoe had promised her troubles would be over, it came and it went and Zoe insisted that more work was needed, and Zoe told me she had stayed up all night for many nights doing spiritual battles for me, and the work was exhausting. She said there were so many demons that she couldn't believe it. Now... I can't believe it either, Zoe. I know. Yeah, I can't believe it either. Um, This all works up even farther as Zoe convinces her to buy a golden pyramid for $100,000. Ruth agreed with the promise to get the money back. And after all, this pyramid would be inscribed with Ruth's name and her loved one's name, and she would finally be saved. Zoe has become a grade-A manipulator, telling Ruth um, all these kinds of things, isolating her, turning Ruth against her loved ones, um, gaining her trust only, and anytime Ruth would doubt, Zoe would be able to quell her fears. In 2015, two years after their initial meeting... Ruth was like shocked at the idea of now Zoe asking her to spend $160,000 on spiritual armor, quote unquote. Um, And she was like, look, this is a little ridiculous. But to soothe her, Zoe agreed to send her a contract in the mail, guaranteeing her work would be done by March 2016. The document arrived, signed by a notary public and a witness named Robin Funk. The contract's terms were a mixture of financial provisions and private glimpses at Ruth's innermost hopes. And this is quoted, I find where I belong, one read. Zoe will advise me and guide me for life, read another. This is crazy. I wouldn't want her around for life. I know. I don't, you're, uh, she's sucking you dry, dude. All in all, Ruth just still trusted her. She's being manipulated. She was very vulnerable. I want you to give me a number. Of how much you think, in total, Ruth has given to Zoe at, at the end of it all. $300,000. Good guess. A little over $740,000. What? I know. I'm like, first of all, why do you have all this money? I was going to say, if you all, have that money, why do you have problems? I know. We all know money solves problems. (laughs) Hello. And she did not see 
a penny of it back. So at this point, Ruth had nothing left and was like, I'm breaking contact with you for good. So she now comes into contact with somebody else named Bob Nygaard. Now, Bob Nygaard is a little famous in New York, a retired policeman turned PI hellbent on taking down psychic scammers. Can't really be mad at him. <laughs> Hate all cops, but I'm kind of on this guy's side here. Between March 2009 and March 2019, the NYPD recorded 84 arrests that included fortune-telling charges with Nygaard's help. Um, Nygaard took Ruth's case, but Ruth was very, very wary of him because he, too, charges money for the promise of help. Right. So, as you can imagine, she's just given almost a million dollars away to psychic. Um, How does she any, ha, even have any left? Like, Girl, that's what I want to know. I want to know what she does. I want to know why she has this money. I want to know where she's from. But that information is not given. So, Fair. Um, but Bob Nygaard does say that he encourages you to seek out police first because they're free. Um, but they're police, so. Yeah, so. Where are you going to go with that? During the middle of his investigation for Ruth, he also got another one of Zoe's victims, and the stories were so similar. He had given her $72,000, and he finally had enough evidence, Bob did, um, to give the NYPD um, to make an arrest in 2018 when they found her and her partners had stolen more than $1 million. I know. Um, so in court, she originally denied the charges, but later pled guilty. Ruth was sure that she was going to get justice, but hello, have you seen our justice system here? It's stupid, racist, and a lot of the time, it's awful. Um, so we do have a copy of the plea agreement um, by J.C. George, um, which offered the details of, like, how they would convince their clients um, that they were suffering from, quote-unquote, their words, psychic maladies. Um, and J.C., I guess, works with Zoe. Um, they could all be cured by all these rituals, and the agreement said, in quotes, in fact... I do not have any kind of psychic power. The clients I advise were not suffering from any kind of psychic malady, and I had no intention of performing the rituals. George stated in the agreement, yeah, I intended to steal money from as many clients as I could. And that, that was like his, her partner? Zoe's partner? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was unclear to me what the final sentence was for Zoe, but we do know that she's out of jail and we do know that Ruth has received about $180,000 back, but we don't know if she's ever going to or has gotten the rest of her $740,000 that she lost. Oh, that's um, I know. Um, this all ends with the writer of this article um, who decided to go visit Zoe's shop. And is still offering psychic help, but Zoe's name is nowhere to be seen, and instead it says under new management. But is it though? Girl, I don't know. That's where it she's ends. out. And that's 
I know. And see, and that's what frightens me about, like, all these people who are seeking help in these vulnerable moments and, like, are being just, like, they're cash cows for people who are just telling them, like, things will get better or your grandma said she loves you or even as far as I need you to buy this gold pyramid and spiritual armor so that your curses will go away. I mean, yeah, it's just truly horrific how people prey on those that are so clearly suffering or hurting. I know. (laughs) How do we do that to each other, right? Like, how did we get here? I don't know. And it's like, like, at, at the same time, you're like, I mean, good on you for being so smart to scam people like that. But then, like, also, how can you be so terrible? Like, use that for good, man. And if you are a psychic and you're out there and you're listening to this and you're actually, like, helping people please continue to just actually help people for a reasonable price instead of like just messing their life up for your own financial gain okay because i will go bob nygaard and i will find you (laughs) (laughs) Uh, wow man we we didn't even mean to but we got both sides of the spectrum i know Uh, and you'd think it would have been the other way around (laughs) right because of anything i'm more willing to believe in like the cosmic timing and psychicness of it all and you are like eh (laughs) it's crazy too because i feel like i have had like i've talked about multiple times on the podcast but i feel like i've had like extrasensory experiences or like unexplainable experiences but at the same time i'm like but did i i don't know is any of it real is there anything worth believing in who knows (laughs) Who's and to that's say? how Bailey became a nihilist. <laughs> Who's to say? You Who's know what I believe say? in? I believe in you. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm like pretty sure you're real. <laughs> I believe in you too, but honestly, we haven't seen each other in over a year, so I'm not even sure you're going to actually show up at the airport. <laughs> um, I'm going to be there. I'm so excited. Our next episode Look will be coming up. to you with us in the same room. Right, and we're both vaccinated, so it's okay per CDC, so no one can get mad at us. Don't come for us, okay? We've been so... Okay, we're single, so we've been so alone. <laughs> we don't live with anybody right. else. No, so, and she has a cat. I have nothing. <laughs> So don't come for us. We need this. <laughs> don't take this for much. Um, yeah, I thought it would have been a cool idea to uh, invite a psychic, but we don't have the money for that. After your story, you thought it'd be that. cool to invite a psychic? Yeah, what if she told me something cool? <laughs> hmm. But what if she took all of your money to buy spiritual She can't. Honor? She can't. I wouldn't let her. I'm not well, gonna let her. But, but everyone thinks that until it happens to you, you know. No, just like everyone because thinks she they says never join a cult. Cursed, well, that's true. But it, listen, if a, if a psychic tells you that you're cursed and that you need to, because I also read like a whole bunch of stories of like one guy having to put nine thousand dollars in a pillowcase and nine white roses and nine eight ro- what nine eight roses 
nine red <laughs> roses and put them all in the bag and give it to like the psychic so he could like help him out like and this is in like 2020 i think um yeah listen if a psychic is offering you help for some like egregious mount mount some egregious amount of money like just don't do it okay it's not it's not helpful you're probably not cursed and even if you are like find something else to cure your curse okay like light a candle go to therapy say a prayer go to therapy you know that's a good one one day we'll be sponsored by better help and we can <laughs> we can give you a discount code okay but first you but have to pay us $180,000 for spiritual for spiritual art. <laughs> but yeah, I guess, you know, I think I, I, uh, part of me does think that sometimes it is real and there are people with like these abilities that can help you, but you really never know when someone is just trying to take advantage of you for their own selfish game. And that's why it's a scary world out there. So hold on to those you love. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you your future. <laughs> <laughs>